back with First Time Films. It's me, Jack, against that I'll be hosting today. Um, and thankfully, I've got Truffles here with me uh, this time round to press record and uh, make sure that the show is actually going to get um, produced. Oh, there's my laptop making noises as well. I better just quickly turn that down. Lovely. Yes, Truffles, uh, thanks for being here. It's always a pleasure. Um, and I'm just glad that you're here to keep me on the right lines so that we can actually uh, get some content out. I am all about the content, mate. This is uh, the most cursed show in the history of this podcast. So <laughs> I do believe I do believe there is some parallels between the movie Spirited Away and the uh, theme of, you know, uh, supernatural curses and has <laughs> actually embedded it into the this podcast and has decided that this will not get made, this will never get heard, and nobody um, nobody should ever listen to or watch the movie. Aye, it's no. it's not it's not anyone else's fault, but your Baba's. She's clearly the the cause She's of all of this. Here. Absolutely at the helm of this. Uh... <laughs> well, yeah. all it what all it's done for me is delayed the inevitable of everybody hate me for what I'm about to say about the movie. <laughs> so yeah, I'll... well, yeah, introduced herself there. Uh, it's Quacky with us again. Uh, he was on the first attempt at this show, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> he's here for the second. Thankfully, as well, we've we've uh, well, that. Well, let's also bear in mind that this isn't where we're like, I can't have them do the same show again. So we're doing Spirit of the Way and How I Was Moving Castle. And I spoke to Quacky on the phone about that like 25 <laughs> minutes ago. And he's like, mate, I'm having to watch the end again. I have no fucking idea what's going on. So that should be fun. <laughs> yeah, and this is this, yeah, this is it. In fact, is it not going to be your like third or fourth time watching it, Quacker? Because I'm pretty sure you watched it twice before the first attempt. <laughs> so you, you had already tried to study the film quite thoroughly, but um, this time round, um, a third or a fourth time watch, whatever it is, uh, how are you feeling? What was your initial thoughts on the film Spirited Away? And did it do it for you, Quacker? No. <laughs> what shocking new information. I know the wow. thing is the thing is though, right? So when it was put up on Twitter about me reviewing the show, uh wrestler power know uh Madeline instantly said, Oh, I loved that film and I just thought, Oops, this is gonna be awkward because I like the guy. <laughs> and I, at least I hope he used to like me. He definitely doesn't now, but I will. <laughs> uh, maybe just just don't be too strong about your feelings yeah. about the movie. You might yeah. end up. Uh, I know it's going to be because he's a wrestler. He's going to be beat me up or something. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, it's nice to y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very um, divisive movie, I suppose. Um, for those that don't understand it or don't um, fully get it, truffles. I'm sure you have uh, some interesting thoughts on it. What's what's your take on it? I first saw this film when I was like uh, ten, maybe, and it was my uncle's wedding. Like it was playing like <gasps> up the stairs, and it was playing on the TV up the stairs, uh, like in the hotel room. And I, it was Japanese, no subtitles. So I had no <laughs> bloody idea what was going on. You can imagine ten year old me sitting there, like, what the hell is this? Hold on, hold part. on, hold on. What what? Hotel you in with showing you the actual Japanese version of Spirited Away? It was like it was like for, uh, film four. It was on uh, film four. You know? See, to be fair, film four do have like they they uh, strike me as like the budget pure film 
where they would get the OG instead of paying for the English version. Or <laughs> I do have to say, I, like this is a wider discussion we can have, but I enjoy watching Japanese stuff and Japanese with subtitles. Sometimes I watch this because sometimes they don't hire like a proper good uh, English yeah. dub cast. Yeah. But the difference with the Studio Ghibli is one is they get like proper good names in, as we'll talk about more so. I think with Howl's Moving Castle than Spirited Away. But Spirited Away, man, I I love the story. It's one of those things where it's just like a really nice fairy tale. It's really weird. It's really creepy. It has some sort of Brothers Grimm vibes about it, but it never yeah. loses that sort of sense of like wonder. And I think that's the word I have when I watch it. You're wondering, oh my God, what's going on in this world? Everything's so exciting, everything's so colourful. Nothing's like fully explained to you either. So you just have to sort of accept yeah. that, oh, there's a fucking talking frog there, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah. okay, that sound. Uh, but uh, man, I, I loved it. I, I was like charmed from beginning to end is what I would say. Absolutely. Trough, can I ask a question here of you? Are you only saying you like uh, films in Japanese uh, language because... On a previous podcast, <laughs> you absolutely butchered Japanese names, so you're you're just putting on this front to try and redeem yourself. Maybe, when really... maybe I'm trying to make up to the country of Japan. I know you're not getting the visa anytime soon. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I do know how to say Miyazaki's name, which is the most important one I need for this show. I've practiced it like five times. Is so that an all caps or not? <laughs> Me as Listen, yeah, I, I I butchered it the first time round. Um, that I'll just <laughs> let me just give give me this opportunity now to you know right? properly give the little rundown of the show for anyone who is listening who just likes listening and maybe hasn't actually seen the film. Mm. So Spirited Away follows. Can't <laughs> 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 even start. Uh, follows um, the story of ten-year-old Chihiro, um, and her parents are travelling to a new home. She ends up finding herself lost in what I can only describe as a Japanese-style Alice in Wonderland-type um, scenario, where yes. um, everything sort of goes against her, uh, and she finds herself lost and alone in this world. Um, so. How the hell do you say his first name? Hayao? Hey, Hayao? 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 His name is Miyazaki. His name is Miyazaki. 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 What is his first name? <laughs> we know he's basically the Steven Spielberg of, of Japanese cinema. So you just need to say the second name. You can say Spielberg. You can say Miyazaki. You know, it's fine. Miyazaki. Right. Miyazaki. <laughs> um, obviously, you know, well-renowned for all of his uh, Studio Ghibli stuff. Um, even his earlier stuff that was not under the name of Studio Ghibli has since been added to as well. So um, he's got quite a repertoire. Um, this movie itself uh, won an Academy Award for Best Animated Film in the 75th uh, Oscars. And um, a lot of his other films have done pretty well as well. I think I did do a budget for the first attempt at this, so I'm not <laughs> going to do it this time. But the budget was $1.92 billion. Uh, two, two billion yen that is so that yeah. equates some to something like 15, 15 million dollars mm. given the uh, political type climate that'll be five trillion pounds <laughs> <laughs> um, and it made an absolutely massive 352 million uh, worldwide so I mean mm. for a what, what did we say it was 2001 Japanese animated film yeah. uh in 2001 to make that kind of money is pretty mad to be fair um, and yeah. we did speak about that 
uh, AJ had loads to say about that trough. Um, what's your thoughts on how much money it made? Does it surprise you, or you're just kind of like, yeah, it kind of makes sense now? I mean, it's completely game changing at the time. It's completely game changing because you look back then, uh, the studios that had a stranglehold on the animation market, particularly in Western cinema or Disney and DreamWorks. Uh, you know, those are, the, those are the ones that are coming out. It's actually yeah. interesting because it, uh, around this time, the movie we're going to talk about later, there's an R studio we could talk about with Wallace and Gromit uh, getting in the mix as well. But by and large, it's Disney, Disney and DreamWorks that own the market. And it was helped with its distribution for this one uh, because uh, Walt Disney uh, actually handled the North American distribution uh, for this movie, put a big uh, campaign behind it to try and get it out there, to try and get more eyes on it. And yeah. it's one of those things when you look at the when you look at the animated style of it, it's a simple fairy tale. It is something that sort of families are looking for, so it's very easy to market in that sense. But you're completely right to point out that it does seem unusual, and it was completely game changing for the time. And I don't think it's actually something that's been replicated up until very recently in sort of 2015. With your name is the only other animated film mm-hmm. there from Japan that I can remember. Uh, having such an international reach but it's the power of uh, Spirited Away man, it's just, it comes down to quality and good marketing, that's the reason for the success there I think Absolutely, yeah, I mean I was a first time filmer for this one Um, I've actually since only watched it the one time Uh, but since then explored some of the Studio Ghibli stuff, Uh, as you said earlier Truff, um, I did actually watch it in the English dubbed version and you don't always get the pleasure like you said of getting a really good English stuff, especially with a lot of anime stuff. Um, for this, I thought they did pretty well. Even though, looking at the list of names here, I don't really know that many off the top of my head, apart from Susan Egan, who I could bloody talk about until the cows come home. Um, <laughs> Please do. I love Susan Egan, And just for uh, a bit of reference as well, on the first attempt at this, I was calling her Sarah for about the first half hour, so thanks, <laughs> fuck, the first half got lost. That's Sarah Egan, class, absolutely brilliant. Uh, so she plays Lynn in it, uh, <laughs> but she's... Um, well known for Megara and Hercules, which is absolutely class. And Quacka, you haven't seen Hercules, so it absolutely upsets me. Um, but that is one of the most notable <laughs> names. Mate, I'm sorry, this friendship, you're going to be upset along the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was even more surprising because AJ hadn't seen it either. So it was just, it was, um, yeah, I felt really alone in my appreciation of Susan Egan. <laughs> I know Truff shares the same appreciation though. Yes, uh, Susan Egan, oh, fucking Megan Hercules is the one I always go back to her for. Like it's that, it's that voice, it's that sardonic wit uh, that she seems to bring to every part. But like you say, she's a predominantly theatre performer as well. Uh, yeah. And I remember there's this Disney Plus show I'm watching recently called uh, Encore. Um, and she was the one who, I believe she originated the role of Belle on Broadway, so she came right. in to try and help someone who was playing Belle in that show, and just the acting advice she's given in that, man, it's just like top-notch, you're listening to her, and you're just like, yeah, yeah, you know what you're talking about, <laughs> I can tell, uh, but I also need to point out my main man uh, in this cast, uh, Jason Marsden, who not only plays a voice, he's traditionally the voice of Max Goof uh, in the Goofy movies, uh, so he's been the voice of Max in, in those and like any other Disney cartoon for years. But he also voices Kovu in The Lion King 2, which is one of the most underrated films of all time. So go and check that one out, folks, as well. <laughs> <laughs> Class. Class. Uh, right, so I know Kwaku was a bit lost with what was going on in the story. So um, 
I feel like most of the structure of the episode will be just to uh, talk our way through it, explore some of the themes that we liked, because there is a lot. Uh, Miyazaki likes a wee hidden, a wee hidden gem or a wee hidden um, bit of symbolism. So mm-hmm. uh, he does, he does. He um, does so we can try and educate <laughs> Kwaku again for the second time. <laughs> if, he hasn't already, if he hasn't already, you know, caught on by the first time. Um, so I really like the the beginning to it and how Chihiro seems to be unlike a lot of children seems to be like almost scared of uh, what's around the corner or the fear of the unknown. Whereas a lot of children, maybe ten year old kids, um, I don't know if that's maybe a culture thing with mm. Japan uh, that he was trying to bring out in. But I feel that if, when I was a ten year old uh, boy and I seen a a big ancient ruin t- type thing or like an old railway kind of thing like that I would be absolutely uh, chanking it down the, the tunnel to see what was there yeah. um, whereas it was sort of role reversal there where the, where the you know the parents were so keen to just go explore mm-hmm. and she really really lacked that enthusiasm so um, let's be was... honest the parents they should be reported to child life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were absolutely negligent of her for the first like, 15, 20 minutes. She's like, they're like, I'm going to fucking hurry up. And they're, they're just walking away from her. <laughs> uh, the dad basically tries to kill them in that car as well. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what is that about? <laughs> like, he's absolutely had a rager there, man. He's went, uh, he's he's went off-road. Rage. Yeah, he's went off road and then yeah. just thought, I I'm just not gonna slow down at all this whole time. <laughs> the mum's trying to tell him to calm down, he's like, Shut up, you bitch. Um yeah, uh, the dad the dad uh, seems to be absolutely on one and then he just charges her way up into the tunnel, even though the, the to be home for the movers. The mum's trying to tell him need to be home for the movers and then the next minute she's well, her mind's been absolutely flipped and she's like, No, no, do you know what? Let's go see what this railway station's about. Anyway, um they do find themselves um looking for food because they're hungry, even though a minute ago they ha- they didn't have any time because uh, they had to go meet the movers. All of a sudden they've got all the time in the world to just steal from this random <laughs> ghost town. Um, <laughs> as if nothing's going wrong. Anyway, I think the theme that uh, Miyazaki was trying to explore here was a theme of greed and you know obviously everybody deserves to be fed and stuff but it's about like you know taking what you need and and uh, moving on rather than just stuffing your face so mm-hmm. um it was obviously the reflection of um how all these magical creatures or magical animals in this mm-hmm. world view humans as kind of gross and disgusting and um you know almost i think that's to kind of play on their narcissism and their selfishness Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the the well the animals in real life <laughs> if they could think quite as complicated as uh, Spirited Away makes them think uh, mm. I'm sure they would feel the same in real life as well how you know they're obviously sort of packaged and moved about the world and uh, used purely to feed uh, purely to um, suit the needs of the human so I get that's the, the theme he's trying to explore there um, Troubles what about that scene when the parents do turn into pigs because they're stuffing their face? Um, AJ, uh-huh. AJ was remembered really being frightened of it when she was younger. Um, used to find it really, really like intense, and I actually felt the same. My first watch, I thought, well, that I can imagine that being quite scary as a kid, like watching that. Uh, what, what's your thoughts? It reminds me of. Uh, do you remember in uh, Pinocchio with uh, the donkey scenes and stuff like that as well? That used to terrify me when I was wee. 
Uh, and this, I this don't remember kind of, them. That will quite <laughs> you just wait, son. You just wait. Uh, there's a whole <laughs> spreadsheet dedicated to things that you don't know yet. Uh, but um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's always it's always that thing uh, in these kids' movies where they do have like, this magic and transformations and stuff like that. Like obviously they're not going to go like full body horror, but it's as close to it as they can like get with this one. It does make yeah. you like, really uncomfortable, and it's the way like the 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 dad pig sort of just falls back out of his chair and like falls back and all that and you're just like oh my god that's actual terrifying like yeah. if I was in that position I would be running for the fucking hills man is what I'd be doing yeah it was almost like um, you do feel um, you do feel her, her like fear there I feel like they really do well to put you in her position um, that she's obviously kind of wandered off uh, and again, our parents should be getting done with negligence because they're just like, let's just stuff our faces. Fuck knows where Chihiro's went. Let's just leave her. <laughs> um, anyway, so she's running about this this whole magical world bit, and when she comes back to find our parents as pigs, you, I feel like um, you do feel really lost. Like she obviously at that moment realizes these are not my parents; they're pigs. Turned around, they don't uh, even like recognize her or anything. There's no way of communicating with her. And she just at that moment realised that she's she completely alone in this place. Um and it's um yeah, it's I feel like really intense and uh it's the kind of it's obviously the start of, of uh what's gonna happen for the rest of the film and, and like how lost she is. Mm-hmm. Um Kwaku, you um you seem to have struggled keeping up with <laughs> you seem to struggle keeping up with the story a lot of the time and stuff. What where was it um did you find yourself kind of first losing losing touch with it? Were you kind of just unsure like whether you were going to enjoy it at the very start or was it just, uh, so, just sort of lost on you? Yeah, so I understood the whole changing into the pig thing. I understood the bit at the end when she survived the test and then the a plot spoiler the parents <laughs> change back and they're like shouting on her where have you been and all that stuff mm. it's everything in the middle with like Haku being the dragon and stuff like <laughs> that I'm just like it, I, I mean I've never taken acid in my life but I'd imagine <laughs> that's what happens <laughs> you just enter the spirited away world yeah. Uh, yeah shortly after Chihiro um, does come to the realisation that she's obviously trapped in this world um, she's befriended by Haku, as you say, Kwaku, who is a, a human boy, uh, you're led to believe. He's, he seems to be on Chihiro's side, but I do like that they kind of leave it up to, you know, interpretation. You don't, you can't, well, not until later on, it. you don't realise that, you know, he's, he's on the good side. Uh, he is serving the villain of the story, but as a... Uh, I always get her name wrong. Uh, what did you call Yababa. 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 I was calling All her Yakubu, caps. I think, for a bit. <laughs> Yakubu. <laughs> that was a former football player. I know. <laughs> I know. Feed the yak. <laughs> I can get Yababa as our sister Zaniba. Always forget yeah, Z- her name. Zaniba, Zaniba and y- Yubaba. So yeah, Yubaba is the sort of evil witch in the story and hey, Haku is effectively like her first mate or like her, mm. um, I don't know, lieutenant of whatever, <laughs> lieutenant yeah, of frogs. Everybody in this, <laughs> or in this world is obviously either some sort of spirit ghost or... Uh, has already been turned into an animal and seems to be basically serving uh, Yubaba in some sort of weird 
uh, sick wash house, <laughs> um, which is it just doesn't get any like weirder. Like it, in terms of like a film, right? It just doesn't really get any weirder. Just any plate, like especially uh, from a, a Western viewer, like that bathhouses and stuff aren't really that much of a thing. So just like yeah, there's just loads and loads of frogs mixed in with some humans, and then like big. Uh, radish spirits <laughs> roaming about the radish, the radish roaming about the this disgusting thing ever right? when she's in the lift room and you're just like oh my god that makes me so uncomfortable imagine the smell <laughs> just an absolute radish how uh, <laughs> it's absolutely crazy um, so Chihiro obviously finds herself having to uh, go over these tasks you know she kind of has to prove herself uh, that she wants to work and that uh, she needs to kind of get on Yubaba's good side in order to survive in this world and not, you know, and, and obviously alleviate the risk of being turned into an animal like her parents. Um, all the while, she's obviously trying to solve the sort of case on how to how to get her, uh, her parents back um, and obviously how to get home because at this point, you know, she's clearly distressed. But um, what's nice about the film is she sort of, you know, it's a bit of a a coming of age for her, or not even a coming of age, but like mm. a you know a a progression um, in her character because she was so so reluctant to explore and so you know hard persuaded by her parents to actually go there in the first place, and the fact that she's found herself here lost, um, if anything, it kind of gives her enough, um, you know bravado to sort of buck up her, her ideas and think you know I mm. need to actually take matters into my own hands and do something here she obviously as I said has the help of Haku who is a very experienced guy in this case um, you don't really know anything about his backstory and you're just kind of like oh he's a dragon he's so, a dragon he, he, by uh, the way really cool design of that dragon yeah, you know I mean, it's almost, it almost reminds me of like a, a Gururumon on Digipollution uh, and Digimon or something like that. I was like, it's like pure dog like. I was like, I'm here for that, man. I'm it's a bit like, uh, it was like Rayquaza as well. That, uh, yeah. That sort of Japanese dragons kind of almost like makes it kind of, uh, they look, make them look kind of like furry, like dogs. Yeah, it's They're cool, like, isn't it? Dogs, like, <laughs> dogs with like a big tail. Yeah, like just one big tail body. Uh, right, yeah, pretty fast to be fair. Did look quite good, Rory. I saw my gift with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's. I want to talk quickly about No Face and uh, maybe if there's any symbolism that anyone has about No Face. So Chihiro is crossing the bridge, has to hold her breath, uh, and she forgets the second time round, just towards the end. And uh, No Face obviously kind of clocks her. Um, she does the friendly task of letting No Face into the the wash house having no idea what sort of um you know implications that would cause um he starts to go a bit mad when he's in the wash house i, I think uh, my take on it is that when he he's obviously able to manufacture gold out of thin air so um the greed of all the animals in the wash house and everything starts to shine through like in the fit and the fact that he can obviously pr- uh, produce this for them and they're not really giving anything to him in return. Whereas the one person that he really wanted to give something to uh, was Chihiro, because Chihiro, on a number of occasions, you know, had taken his help and and uh, also given him help. So um, I feel like No Face obviously felt somewhat obliged to help Chihiro uh, and wanted to reward her. 
Uh, whereas all these other, like the frogs and all the other people in the wash house, um, didn't really deserve it. And I think that's what led No Face to kind of spiral out of control. Um, so I think it was a, it's almost symbolic of the greed that everyone else has shown sort of rubs off on him. So mm. all the taking and no getting, no giving back, or, um, sort of just decides that that's the person that he's going to be because he takes the form of the people around him almost, if that makes sense. That would be my take on it. Does that, mm. does that what you would think, Trough, or is there any other theories you can pose? Because I, I know it's always still a, still a well-talked um, about character, so... I just thought he was a fucking weirdo. You know, he fucking... Uh, every time he was on screen, he made me uncomfortable. I was like, imagine that at the end of your bed. I think you're right also is this... Um, it's a pure horror movie cliche uh, of, like, inviting the spirits in, isn't it? Like, this yeah. is how you like the like you see with Annabelle or something right up to the present day. Like, oh, if you invite the spirit in, that's when they like have power and control over you. But I think it's right. I think it's like uh, he's a pure innocent creature, there's no face. You know, yeah. he's uh, he comes in and he, he just feels he's tethered uh, at that point uh, to our fuck, I always forget her name. She's a hero. I always go to say Sen, and I was like, I'm not like, no, that's not her name. <laughs> no, that's, that's her wrong. name. For, that's, 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 that's not her name. Uh, but he's, he was obliged to help Shihiro, and it's one of those ones where it's just like, outcast from society finds a pal. When you break it down, it's really quite simple, but I want to know, know what Kwaku thinks of it. of no face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No face is no face. It's... <laughs> It's so weird. Because <laughs> I was just like, oh, is this the come down stage? <laughs> oh, no, it's not. <laughs> I just thought that. Honestly, I, I, I mean, I've never taken drugs before in my life. That's as close as I've got to it. <laughs> well, I mean... It's not too far away. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the intel. (laughs) No, um, the washhouse is a very, very uh, interesting part of the like that. That for me was the most like interesting part of it. See when you get into the sort of full uh, brunt of the film, and it's Chihiro trying to just earn her stars uh, in the washhouse. That for me was really like gripping. Like the I couldn't really take my eyes off the screen I was just really interested in what was going to happen next I was so curious about what No Face was up to and what has you know why he was managing to steal the tokens and, and just giving her like all of the tokens even though right. she needed one um, and then the the stink monster or the stink spirit uh, comes around and um, it really gives Shihiro this opportunity now to well unbeknown to her she's um Obviously, dealing with a very powerful water. Uh, what's it called? Like a water. So, yeah, it's like a water spirit. Garden, water garden. I think it was called. Yeah. Yeah, it was like some water garden. Um, so obviously disguising it, or well, not disguising it, but as you know, clogged up and is uh, given off the stink spirit uh, appearance. Mm-hmm. So Yubaba's like, oh, this will this will teach her. Let's give her the big nastiest, stinkiest thing ever to clean. Um, mm. And she does an absolutely swell job, even though it all goes a bit tits up. But she manages to obviously rid it of all the toxic um, waste that it's holding, and uh, in return it rewards her. And I just, like, I just love how like simple it is, as you said, truffles. Like it's obviously a, a cartoon, and it's um, you know so almost like a kids' film. I do feel that there's some themes that 
uh, do make it sort of universal uh, mm. and for any age. But, uh, you know, in the be-all end-all, it's, it's kind of meant for kids. And just as simple as that, when she does the good deed, everybody sort of gives her the praise for it. Even you, Baba, the person who's the villain, you know, mm. starts to starts to see, like, some good in her. Uh, yeah, and and worth in her, and then in that in that moment, she's obviously also awarded that sort of small stone thing, like the it's obviously some sort of food. Um, but it's mm. just funny how that then for her when she's gifted that by the the water guardian, she doesn't know what it is or what to do with it, but she does feel like it must have a purpose, so she starts to use it in things without even hesitating. Yeah. You know, like she's thinking, I might be able to get my parents back. Um, or for example when Haku is attacked by all the little paper cuttings uh, <laughs> she, uh, she tries mm-hmm. this little thing to just to see, see if it will cure him and it actually rids him of the bug that Yubaba had put in him so um, or Yubaba Yabuba it's starting to sound not right in my head I don't understand um, <laughs> Yeah, so no, it's class. It's just I just love how yeah, it's something as simple as that. Like she'd done something good, she got a reward for it, and then she's now finding how can I put this reward to good use? Like how can this reward do? Like even though she doesn't have a clue what this thing is, um, well, it's just wonderful. It's like when we go to talk about uh, how it's it's a, it's a thing that crosses both movies. Is a sense that unlike like a Disney film, you've got your bad characters and you've got your good characters. With uh, these the spirited away in Howl's Moving Castle, they're very there's very very grey areas to everyone. Like your villains are not necessarily your villains. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's there's bits to you, Baba, uh, that you find sort of forgivable or likable, or maybe she gets redemption. You know what I mean? Like and that it goes the same way with like even Hill. Like and if you look at Hill and Howl's Moving Castle, like they do it better, Studio Ghibli, than a lot of other sort of kids uh, kids movie studios, and that they present kids with like characters that aren't either side of the spectrum but play it as it is no one is really good or evil at the end of the day there's a bit of both in everyone so it's, I like I like that portrayal because it feels like it's not talking down to kids it's giving them something more to think about absolutely yeah uh, it's not as you say it's not black and white and it's um, like uh, Yubaba that you mentioned there she's obviously a villain she's obviously like an old witch uh, yeah. and has some evil intention or not even evil intention just selfish intention she's obviously getting everybody to work for her so it's not even like evil as in she's not you know murdering folk for fun just a um, capitalist basically <laughs> she's just yeah she's just getting everybody to work for her uh, and taking all the money um, her sister Zaniba you don't really hear from like until very you know towards the end mm. and uh, the like the, the only sort of mention of her you get is when of course Haku comes back all cut from those birds and it was purely because um, of his doing, you know, him trying to do Yubaba's bidding and uh, steal something. So again, it's like Haku is in the wrong for stealing, um, and it's it's like how it's like basically the movie's dilemma is like what forcing the reader to or to, uh, forcing the, the viewer sorry to weigh up the options. Like is Haku in the wrong for stealing or is he in the right for following the orders and still maintaining his position in order to help Chihiro or is he you know and you need to kind of place it piece by piece and and you know put thought into it uh, and then at the same time as I said you don't actually know anything about Zaniba you're just expecting her to be another witch like Yubaba 
and obviously evil or having some sort of selfish intent. And then when you meet her, it's like the absolute opposite. It's just it's brilliant. She's like the granny, uh, and it just mm. shows you like how twins, uh, two similar beings uh, with, pro- I imagine, similar upbringings in this world or whatever, um, you know, obviously have completely different agendas and then give off different personas. Uh, the other, mm. Zaniba, obviously, the one in hiding in the swamp, you give gives off the impression that she's going to be this wicked witch as well, like hiding in the woods. And uh, it's like, as I said, it's the opposite. She, she actually ends up being um, mm. the nicer of the two. And again, like you were saying there, Yubaba isn't necessarily evil or like doing anything in the wrong. If anything, she's a protective mother trying to look after her, her big, huge baby. A <laughs> <laughs> big, massive baby. How how much of a, a head fuck was that for you, Kwaku? Like, why, why yeah. is the baby larger uh, than everything else? I mean, bless you for actually breaking it down for us at all. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm still blinking my eyes, like, what just happened? But no, <laughs> bless you. I know, bless you for breaking that down for me. It was somewhat. <laughs> um, yeah, still confused as hell, but yeah, no. <laughs> the ba- I hated the baby as well. The baby did that mm-hmm. since seeing it turned into a mouse. I was like, good. Hope he stays up. Yeah, <laughs> but that, again, like, so, not a wee theme, right? That's what I love about That's what I love about the film. It's just like the layers of it. When. Um, Chihiro actually the only friends that Chihiro actually gathers throughout it is obviously No Face because she lets him in. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. you you obviously gain friends by giving like, you know, doing them a favour and taking something in return and, you know, having that mutual respect. Mm-hmm. Um the baby is obviously nobody's friend at the very start of it, you know, when you're first mm-hmm. introduced, it's just this whiny that's like a whiny baby, obviously, but can speak. Uh, and is obviously very selfish and temperamental, used to being like mollycoddled and, and you know, getting its way and stuff. So, uh, if anything, like Chihiro uh, gives the opportunity to sort of for the baby to learn. And mm. when when the little mini Yubaba bird, like you know, the raven that is yeah. Yubaba's kind of like secondary mm. bird, um, and, the, and then obviously the baby himself both get turned into something else. Uh, it's not until they put themselves in a place of weakness that they actually value things like friendship and mm. you know what I mean they like when they're turned back they they are now on Chihiro's side because they've went you know the distance with Chihiro and uh, learned that there's a lot more to life than just like basically being mollycoddled or just being uh, Yubaba's sort of I don't yeah. know toy in this Aye. big game it's very nice isn't it it's all very nice it's all very nice lots of themes of friendship uh, you can't beat it cannot beat it and Quacky, uh, you mentioned it at the end there with the, the sort of final test um, mm-hmm. were you surprised with you know the fact that she just went no that's none of them none of them or were you kind yeah. of expecting that you know no did not expect that because like I thought like my first thought was um, I don't know who it was exactly, but I, I thought something was going to be the uh, parents kind of thing. But right. well played to her for actually recognising that. I mean, that just shows you how much she looks up to her parents, and her parents were absolute bastards for looking at her. <laughs> if there's anything we've established today, it's that the parents were bastards. Right? Listen, I'd want, they I'd were. Know, I want to know if it was the other way about and it was Chihiro that turned into a pig, if they would even recognise Chihiro, because I don't even think they looked at her once in that whole movie. 
Nice. They, they were the worst parents as a certain people went to Portugal. Uh, let's gloss over that detail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, no, it was a really nice ending as well. I think it just rounded it off nicely. Um, Haku says something early on in the film about Chihiro needing to remember where she came from and who she is, and um, you know that obviously seems to be a big feature in this this uh, sort of foreign world, inspired out of the spirit world. Um, remembering who you are is sort of your gateway home, uh, mm-hmm. and that's why Haku has been trapped there for so long. Haku has forgotten who he is or what he was, uh, and and what his sort of purpose in life was. And it wasn't until he helped Chihiro again. So it was almost like destiny that Chihiro would one day find herself back in the spirit world or find herself mm. lost in the spirit world. Uh, and it gave Haku this opportunity now to find out both who he is, but also in doing so, helping Chihiro find her parents again and and, uh, and get home. So it's just a lovely, lovely story. Just real nice. Just real really, nice. really nice. Just real nice. Um, the second one, I'm just gonna, we'll just move on kind of nicely onto the second one for Hills Moving Castle because um, there's not really much else I really want to say about Spider Way apart from that it was absolutely class and I loved it. Was it was nice. It was uh, nice. And and it was just by chance that I stumbled upon Hills Moving Castle because um, because I started watching some of the Studio Ghibli and I thought Hills Moving Castle that sounds a bit mad uh, and <laughs> it was even more so. I was like, what? Christian Bale's in it. So I was like, that's a bit class. So um, let me just pull up the Wikipedia page for that. I have to say, this is my jam. I love Howl's Moving Castle. I think it's, it's I like Spirited Away a lot. I love Howl's Moving Castle. I just think it's class. We had to, um, I took a British children's literature class uh, in my last semester at uni from my undergrad. And we had to read the book. Hell's Moving Castle was part of that course. Right. And, oh my God, it's what it's just so class, man. It's just so class, and it's like Harry Potter. There's a lot of like there's a lot of the Hell's Moving Castle world you see in the movie, obviously, and it looks great. And we're going to get into it. But uh, well, if anyone loves the movie, go and read the book because the book is also amazing. So class, man. So class. I bet it is. Uh, so this one had a slightly larger budget. Um, which was 2.4 billion yen, which equates to somewhere around 24 million US dollars. Uh, And can you hazard a a guess at what it made in the box office in dollars? Truff? 150? Nope. Quack it. I don't know why, but I'm just going to times it by 10 and go for 240. Ooh, two, three, six. Oh, get it up you. Well, I'm glad. Well, I'm glad. Get it up you. <laughs> uh, so the plot of Hills Moving Castle, and um, that summarizes my expertise on this film. <laughs> I'm just going to guess. <laughs> uh, so basically, story set in a fictional kingdom where magic and early 20th century technology are prevalent, um, and there seems to be some sort of war between this kingdom that we're the story set in in some other kingdom that's going on at the time. Um, so if we follow a young uh, milliner named Sophie um, who is quickly turned into an old woman by a witch who enters her shop and curses her at the very start. Um, from that, there's obviously some sort of um, 
there's obviously some sort of knowledge about these witches and wizards that roam, but nobody really knows who they are or what they do and what their sort of role is, apart from the, the governments um, and the the king of this um, of this kingdom. <laughs> I keep wanting to say the name of the place, but I've no clue what it's called. <laughs> um, so Howl is the name of one of the wizards that Sophie encounters, and um, they sort of quest together uh, in this in this world to avoid themselves getting caught in this sort of war, uh, getting caught up in the war, but also um, he finds sort of tragedy within himself. How is a personal inner turmoil and battle with himself, um, and it's all set in a big moving castle, which isn't a castle at all. It's like a big, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know what to call it. It's like a big robot walking. Tin house. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's exactly just absolutely class. Um, yeah, I mean, if I could live anywhere, it would definitely be in Hills Moving Castle because it's it's absolutely brilliant. So class, man. So uh, class. Tough. What is it about Hills Moving Castle that gets you right, giddy? It's just it's just the world, man. Like that. I think that's the thing. Like Spirited Away is a good world, but it's mostly in that we sort of bet. You know, it's mostly in the wash house. How's Moving Castle just, like, expands it. There's so much there. There's so much lore. Like, you could easily, like, I would watch hundreds of movies set in this world. Like, you've got, like like you said, they've got the kingdoms at war. There's a, there's a missing prince. There's all these uh, witches and wizards out there that we know about. There's this, like, head witch in charge who's, like, running the show. They go to training. Like, they need to learn it and stuff like that. How do they learn it? How does that happen? It's all just really intriguing to me. And then uh, for this story specifically... Sophie, I think, is a really good protagonist. Like, I care about her uh, as she goes through this journey. I want her to get things so. And Hill's just so cool, man. Like, yeah. how is such a, a cool, a cool, I was about to say a cool cat, uh, more of a, a cool bird, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, Birdman. Yeah, like Birdman. Like, he's like, he's honestly, oh, just so much about it. I can't even, I love it that much. I can't even describe it. Also, Billy, like, also Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal, uh, <laughs> like Billy Crystal's just class. So, yeah, am I right in saying he played Calcifer? Yeah, he played Calcifer, and so, uh, yeah, he, he's also uh, as animated Mike Wazowski in Monsters Inc. Uh, of course, yeah, most famous movie. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I was wondering where I heard the voice. Yes, uh, one quack who knows. <laughs> oh my god, that's a moment. One quack who knows. Quack who's like yes. That's that's like, that's 23 and 19 <laughs> <laughs> yes I know that uh, and uh, he gives his performance and when Harry met Sally is one of my favourite ever as well so yeah good actor class class uh, Kwaku what's your thoughts on Howl's Moving Castle was it much the same we spitted away couldn't really follow it or was there a lot you know was it a bit easier to digest this one or <laughs> I mean, it's like I went from acid to alkali. They both did the same thing, but what's different doses? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it happened. It happened. It just uh, happened to be before fair, your eyes. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I watched it, well, one and a half times because I watched it once and then I watched it ending again just to try and make some sense of it. And I'm not going to lie, it didn't do it for me. Nah. I, I mean, oh. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This this is why I have my, I have a film phobia sometimes with certain films. Mm. I need to overcome it and I really need to, I need to watch more and more films where I'm watching it because I'm going to watch it and stuff like that and trying to watch it and 
critique it and whatever have you, I'm not giving it as fair justice because I'm just not getting it to fully, you know, give it as critique. But maybe that is my point of view of my critique is the fact that me as a newbie watching this, I'm just mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely. That's a point, no, it's a good point, and and definitely. Um, I mean, Studio Ghibli is a little bit of a one-off, and I do feel that uh, as anime stuff, Studio Ghibli stuff is a little bit easier um, from a Western culture to mm-hmm. watch. I, well, I personally believe that, um, but I can I wholeheartedly believe and understand what you're saying um, about anime in general probably being a bit hard to digest especially for a new uh, any film newbie mm-hmm. you know you, you it's, yeah. we've literally thrown you in the deep end there with some pretty um hard hitting stuff japanese yeah. film is always 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 going to have um like hidden metaphorical meaning and yeah. uh, plenty of symbolism satire and such so like for example hills moving castle uh is has got a huge huge um opposition to like the invasion of Iraq in 2003 with the United States and stuff. There's like, mm. it's meant to mirror um, the sort of war that's going on there and the sort of the anti war themes that it, it pulls out um, mm-hmm. is meant to mirror uh, Miyazaki's feelings about that. Um, alongside that, there's. Um, I mean, fair huge, play to them for that one because. Yeah, definitely. And there's, there's huge feminist elements to it as well. And. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to trying to show Sophie's um, courage and, and ability. I, I know it's it's still quite early two thousands. So you know, if if it was getting made now, or if Miyazaki was going to make something now, I'm sure he would be um, a lot better at doing it now. But at two thousand six, this was you know another thing trying to show a female character, um, male mm. ca- uh, female main character, and um, you know showing the elements that she can bring to the story um, oh, totally. and, sh- and showing actually the flawed character and how a lot of the time as well and how the female character and the female compassion uh, can you know well outweighs basically the the pride or the the bravery that the man shows um you know so yeah. I, I just yeah again another really great story with loads and loads of wee kind of hidden gems in there for me um what did he say Say that's his favourite creation, uh, Miyazaki as well. So I mean, yeah. it it does for me, as if, uh, the famous Connor Sweeney once said, it stands <laughs> the test of time. It does um, stand the test of time. Um, and and it wasn't until afterwards that I noticed that Christian Bale played Howl, uh, and I just thought that's brilliant. I mean, again, I've not watched, I didn't watch the Japanese uh, version, so I did watch the English dubbing. So you've got Emily Mortimer. Um, Christian Bale, Billy Crystal, as you mentioned, Josh uh, Hutchison as well. Yeah, Josh Hutchison, Gene Simmons, like some really, really. Um, like it does have to good be good names, not, some not, big names. Not, not kisses Gene Simmons, just in case anyone is confused. It's not <laughs> yeah. that Gene Simmons. Uh, it's not Gene Simmons from Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> it's guys and dolls. Gene, Gene Simmons, you know, the woman. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> not you, Gene. <laughs> um, Right, I actually meant to mention it straight away, and I forgot um, because we usually do play a, pay a bit of homage to the music. But the yeah. music in Studio Ghibli stuff is absolutely sensational. Do we agree? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I I just love it. Like especially Spirited Away. Spirited Away is a little bit night, like kind of more. Mm-hmm. Um, 
la-di-da. Just like kind of more soft and gentle, almost lullaby at times. Like It's just really, really nice and brilliant mm. for stirring up emotions. Be, uh, I don't know, I was in the company of Jack Vig Higgins. Oh, I do love my music, Quacko, mate. You need, to, you need to get on my level here. It's also good because it's like it shows, um, not to criticise Disney, I'm a big Disney fan, but like with Disney, they need the big songs, they need the big show numbers in there because the music will sell CDs, the CDs will help sell the Absolutely. film, vice versa. With Studio Ghibli, uh, they're not concerned about that, they're concerned about they view these movies as like works of art. You know, as opposed yeah. to like pure marketing machines. So you get these really nice scores. You get these like they, oh. they help you go into that fantasy land. Uh, and yeah, I agree with you. I prefer *Howl's Moving Castle* score because I do like the the more aggressive elements, the the more tense uh, music yeah. bits we get in there. Um, as well as with the laddie Danis of the the spirited away one. But it, it, overall, just marvelous yeah. for both films. I, I mean, yeah, no, I actually probably I do agree. Probably the *Howl's* is a wee bit better like the, the music uh for it but i feel like spirited away is that classic uh studio ghibli sound mm-hmm. that you know that the studio ghibli super fans uh do get you know right moist about so yeah. um <laughs> uh, but yeah uh so i'm just gonna i've, I've actually just got this in front of me because i didn't actually do any research for hills funnily enough um, I had done a shit ton for Spirited Away, so that all kind of rolled off the tongue. But with um, Howls, there's, as I mentioned about the anti-war themes, uh, mm-hmm. so pacifism is the one big theme there that Miyazaki um, sort of expressed his distaste for the Iraq war and stuff. So um, there's no clear-cut villains or heroes kind of in Howls' story. It's obviously Howls sort of personal development along with Sophie and the sort of rest of the household at the time um, obviously as they kind of try and uh, find themselves throughout this war and trying to just escape obviously any sort of threat that's to them yeah. um, without stepping on any too, too many toes at one time um, there is a theme of flight and critique of modernity mm. uh, take of that what you will (laughs) I don't even know what they're trying to say about that I mean critique of modernity I I don't really understand that but I get obviously the world that they've set it in was quite a sort of hyper industrial um, I don't know it's it's obviously meant to show some sort of industrial revolution that's going on yeah basically the modernist movement uh, was born out of the first world war uh, and it was yeah. a lot of artists like try to come to terms with uh, stuff around that time so you get people like T.S. Eliot and stuff like that and it's about these sort of new ideas that move it away from sort of fantasy into sort of a uh, harsh realism uh, of society in a way yeah. that's like a very Cliff Notes version of it because it's a lot more complicated than that but it is more like in, in its opposition to modernity it's more about trying to find the, the romanticism and fantasy and things again you know absolutely yeah I, I mean I I'm a big fan of conflict of um, technology and stuff. Like I, I love mm. what I like about this is it is clearly set in. Uh, it could be it, based on style of um, of appearance and clothing and stuff. I would say it's meant to be sort of 18th century, 17th century. Mm. It, no, sorry, 19th century. Um, UK, so it would be an industrial revolution, I would say. I'm thinking like mid 1800s. So, um, 
I, I do like that conflict of the uh, like out with the old and in with the new and trying to you know how how the world tries to digest that um mm. especially when there's a war going on as well so it's it's like you know obviously the person that has the most advanced technology will see themselves as the stronger of the opponent so in a, in a war for example the one that's got the the better warcrafts and military personnel and stuff was obviously going to see themselves as the more powerful or the more destructive um mm. so I, I do like that argument of like you know um yeah like what 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 is the technology good for and and is it doing us any good especially in wartime or something like that you know yeah. if anything everybody everybody's work to progress technology is actually going into a war rather than going into things that will prolong life or prolong mm. harmony you know so um I, I just i think that's where those two themes sort of cross over the critique of modernity and pacifism sort of coming into coming into a play there um because of obviously the war that's going on and this fight to try and obviously win a war but at the same time you know you don't want to destroy half the world it's you know the same sort of argument that in real life we would have had to have uh, same sort of argument we'd have had to had in the eighties, um, mm. you know, with Cold the Cold War, war and stuff, and the Cold mm. war and stuff. Uh, so it's like you know, you obviously <laughs> don't want this whole host of human waste, but at the same time, like people, there are people out there who are investing, governments that are investing in nuclear warfare. So it's like it also shows the pointlessness of it, doesn't it? Because uh, yeah. we're told the whole reason for the war is this missing prince, and then it turns out that uh, he, he was cursed and turned into a scarecrow. Like the mm-hmm. full time, and no government had anything to do with it, you know. And it's mm-hmm. quite, it's that like sort of half hazard as soon as you put the as soon as what's her face. I always forget her name. Uh, is it Solomon? As soon as Solomon finds that out, she's like, Oh, yeah, I'll call them. Aye, it turns out, don't they have the war? You know, it turns out this was pointless. All <laughs> the war off, is so. off, yeah, the war's yeah. off. And that, again, that's that's the other thing for it as well. It shows how folly war can be as well because it's not, you know. A lot of the time, there is not even a point there to it. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's just absolute dick measuring from governments to, you know, try and get a foothold in the world. And and in a world like this, like we don't know anything else about the the wider world here. There's obviously rivaling kingdoms, but we don't actually know how far apart they are and what sort of land or territory they hold. So, mm. um, it's funny that it's over something as personal as like you know the the prince or something. Uh, I, I get, again, it's just great storytelling that you know the prince has been there from the very start, like the very very start. Like yeah. as soon as Sophie like kind of goes off on her own, this first character she encounters is this mad pogo stick scarecrow, <laughs> um, and it's just like, I, I mean, it was a big shock to me. Unlike Spirited Away, where a lot of the time I was kind of guessing what was going to happen, and, I, and it was more mm. often than not right. Um, with this, I was like, what? <laughs> The scarecrow is the prince. I was like, <laughs> like, uh, seriously, if you wiped the sweat off my brow and went, woofed, class. Uh, I thought really good storytelling and the fact that he was so close to the the adventure the whole time. You know, it wasn't like he had to be rescued or anything like that. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. like he had to. Um, you know, I don't know how how it could have been a whole host of of different uh, endings there that they could have chose from. Yeah, um, or that mm-hmm. Miyazaki might have written, and it's just like he picked an absolute winner with that. That was just brilliant storytelling. I thought. Um, yeah. 
Absolutely. See what you said about war. I, I just instantly got Edward Starr song in my head. Um, <laughs> and another thing is that, like, if allow me to like kind of compare and contrast uh, what I've seen of Ghibli, what I've seen of Disney, it doesn't seem like Disney are so much on the pulse of current affairs or stuff like that. Mm. It's almost as if they're scared to kind of touch that area, whereas Ghibli seems to be a lot more bolder and brass about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I think um, Tuff was like you answer that properly, but I, I think that the the Japanese don't really give a fuck a lot of the time, um, mm. and, and are, are quite happy to get to welcome backlash or uh, or criticism or scrutiny for you, kind of yeah. sticking it to the man a wee bit whereas I think Disney that is the last thing they want to do is upset the status quo with westernised world or um, you know have a they would never have a dig at capitalism or anything like that whereas like Japan for me you know if you're a writer that has these views and you can get it made like you'll still get it made in America if you're a writer that has communist views and wants to do a movie that exposes capitalism, you're not getting it. <laughs> like, sorry, there's no pro- there's no yeah. producer and editors that are <laughs> going to make that because they're like, nah, that's not going to sell here. Um, uh, and it's hard. Well, though it's hard because uh, basically the problem is Disney's a corporate machine. You know, mm. so <laughs> yes, the, it is. The, and that's that, that's the hard uh, that's the hard sell of it. You know, they've got theme parks they've got to fill. Yeah, they've got cruise ships they've got to get passengers on, you know, not right now, obviously, but like in normal times. Um, and they can't do anything overtly controversial, you know, because they're so, Disney's a universal company. There's so many different uh, left or right of the spectrum, they go to Disney because it's the happiest place on earth. It's the place where that mm. sort of stuff doesn't matter. Shouldn't matter, on, yeah. On the flip side of things, Miyazaki basically runs Studio Ghibli. Uh, so much so, the Studio Ghibli basically stopped making films when he decided he was retiring and then they've only started making films again when he said, now, oh, I'm coming out of retirement, yeah. uh, we're going to do an hour movie. So uh, that is I just know, it's kind of like when somebody like, leaves a wrestling podcast twice and comes back, isn't uh, it? I, I know, but those people are just attention-seeking bastards you know? so it's like uh, but uh, with Miyazaki you know it's, it's the difference between if Bob Iger was making a film at Disney for example Bob Iger could go and say whatever he fucking wants in it because he's the CEO of Disney it's that equivalent like Miyazaki is the Bob Iger of Studio Ghibli and so happens yeah. to write and make the films the, the thing with like Japan as well that isn't um, as something that makes it a bit easier to put in like the kind of pop culture is that and Japan as a country is vehemently against like an offensive military and mm. they, they actually don't have any nuclear weapons since Hiroshima and Nagasaki when the nuclear bombs dropped on those places so yeah. yeah there are a few like Japanese nationalist groups that are kind of rising and they're like saying we should have nuclear weapons because of threats from well mm. they say China and North Korea as well but you would find the most vast majority because it's just been entrenched to them that mm. they're anti-nuclear, so they would and they're anti-war and stuff like that purely because of what's happened in the past. Nice, nice. A wee bit of 
Good talk about <laughs> war team. <laughs> yeah, I think we've covered enough of the war. <laughs> a nice, a nice analysis. I thought, there, yeah, well done. Oh, <laughs> Nav- navigated that one nicely. Pat in the back. <laughs> well done. Ooh, well done. Yeah. What it is a good for absolutely nothing. Say it again, y'all. <laughs> uh, so, what was your, what was your, what was your thoughts about this war, and Grom? What was your? I see your thoughts. Just, just said Wallace and Gromit. Wallace and Gromit. Just Wallace and Gromit shouldn't have fucking beat this <laughs> movie for the Oscar. <laughs> oh, it's got what happened, right, right, right. Aye, best animated picture Oscar. Uh, Wallace and Gromit: The Curse of the Were Rabbit. Uh, beat out Howl's Moving Castle that year, oh, which is what? absolutely aye. It's an absolute <laughs> fucking joke, man. I'll read down the rest of the category for for you <laughs> if I can find it here. But it's, uh, I'm struggling to scroll uh, when my hands are shaking with so much rage, mate. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, very difficult. Um, but Wallace and Gromit: Curse of the Rabbit won. Howl's Moving Castle was there, and then Corpse Bride was the only other film nominated that year in the category. Oh, so gosh. as you can tell, it was a very very sort of slim pickings year for animation but I think I can only think the reason they've gave it to Wallace and Gromit is that the process of making a Wallace and Gromit movie is so arduous so it was like okay these people have spent so many years like doing this (laughs) stop motion with these fucking clay models and are probably fucking sick of them by now (laughs) let's give them the Oscar yeah. But and I, I do. And in all fairness, watching yeah. Gromit Cursed with Rabbit was not a bad film. I remember watching that at the time as well. Like, when it's it not a bad out, film. Wasn't it wasn't terrible. It's just because I prefer, the, like, we're talked about the deep thematic stuff with oh, no, music and stuff like that. But at the same time, I appreciate the craftsmanship that went into what was going like Cursed with Rabbit. Having said that, fuck that movie. How's my <laughs> <laughs> I've only seen the wrong trousers. Hmm. Really? That's all what I've seen, yeah. I can't say I'm a Wallace and Gromit fan. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't uh, say. I've only I seen the Curse of the Wild Rabbit, and you know, it was a, a mere 6 out of 10 for me. <laughs> uh, Howls, on the other hand, uh, can I have your scores for, first of all, Spirited Away? Mm-hmm. Out of 10? 8. Eight. 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 Yep. Quacko? 5. 5. Ooh. Mm. And what about Howls moving Castle, Quacko? <sighs> Probably a four. Oh, what worse? Oh. Jesus. Yeah, because no. I, I kind of got, like, I mean, I still didn't get it, but I got spirited away a bit more than Hell's Moving Castle. So, yeah, <laughs> right. I'll, I'll give a four. Fair, fair. But so... it's an improvement from Rock of Ages, but at the same time, it should be an improvement on Rock of Ages. So. <laughs> I think anything can be. Um, I'm going to yes. do something I've never done in this show before. Uh, I'm going to do a spinal tap uh, and dial it all the way up to 11 for House Moving Castle. Wow. <laughs> it's a 10 out of 10 for me. Absolutely love House Moving Castle. It's brilliant. Class. Um, Spirited Away for me is probably an, I think it was an 8 or a 9 if I gave it. I think a 9. Mm. I think I gave. Uh, House Moving Castle I think would also be a 9 for me. Mm. Takes a lot to get a 10 out of me. Um, it does. But they it does. Are strong, strong nines, definitely, and uh, seriously opened my mind to some things. Uh, you know, I've always liked anime, but never really delved deep enough. Um, Studio Ghibli, as I said earlier, like for me, I think is very, very easily digestible, um, and the English dubs are good. Like the English dubs have good casting and stuff, so it actually makes me a bit more invested. See, mm-hmm. knowing that Howl's Christian Bale, it just makes me. 
like like the character even more. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I like I love Christian Bale stuff. If that was any other actor, I'm uh, you know I probably would have still enjoyed the film. But you know, I don't know. It's quite humbling to see like yeah. a good English dubbing cast because, as you said, Truff, it's usually not it's usually best. not a priority for for uh, anime yeah. stuff to hire that. So. Um, mm-hmm. with somebody like Miyazaki at the helm and Studio Ghibli they obviously entertain the idea of trying to get some big names in there for English dubbing so fair mm-hmm. play to them and uh, I think that's another reason why they're so successful as well even though the, even though Spirited Away you know arguably their most successful one um, didn't really have that many notable characters other than Susan or mm-hmm. Gal Susan um, you know <laughs> it, it's it's just funny like you know <laughs> They've obviously put effort in to get people who are, you know, suited to these voices, and um, and it's not pure. It's also not like in the animation as well. It's not. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I've watched English dub stuff, and it's just out of sync with obviously what's being said, like the character movement, you know, totally. the, the drawn movement, and this, like, I don't know. The, they the hired mate- exclusive writers to do that, though. Uh, the writer, the English writers, when they wrote the script, had the Japanese movie available to them, so they could mm-hmm. match uh, I was the, spe- say, the speech right, patterns. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's good. So, yeah, nice, it's impressive. That's impressive. It <laughs> makes it Dude. just all the more uh, class, to be honest. <laughs> Do you know it's not impressive, Jack? The news we're going to talk about. <laughs> Strap yourself. Strap yeah, yourself. In, boy. I think, uh, yeah, trust me, you can you can take over from here to to uh, entertain us with the news. Spider Man Three, the MCU, Tom Holland's third movie in it, right? right. Uh, and it's coming from. I want you to just clarify this. Coming from the Hollywood Reporter, who's the most um, like trustworthy source in all of movies, yeah. um, and it's coming from Boris Kit, who is basically their superhero sci-fi movie man, okay. right? So, still taking a pinch of salt, because Marvel haven't confirmed anything, but it looks yeah. like Jamie, Jamie fucking Fox is returning as Electro in Spider-Man 3, and let me tell you why this is the worst news I've heard all year, and it's the news of coronavirus, right, and a potential Donald Trump second term, none of that matters right now, Jamie, like, this is why it's bad, right, it once again is a, is a fucking, just, a, a, oh, it's just the evidence of Sony getting their hands in again with MCU, getting their hands in with Spider-Man, uh, and with it. And I like the idea of this multiverse shite, Jack. I really do. Like, keep it to Doctor Strange. That sounds great. The One Division stuff sounds great. But this, to me, seems like we're going to get, like, the Spider-Verse live action in the MCU with, like, all the people from, like, maybe the Tobey Maguire-verse and Andrew Garfield-verse coming in and all that. And I just just feel it's going to overly complicate everything. I don't need Electro back. I don't need Jamie Foxx's Electro back. I don't need to be reminded of the Amazing Spider-Man 2 at all. To be honest with you, like cast a new guy as Electro. I don't yeah. like, and it it looks like what it, people are saying is we're going to get Jamie Foxx as Electro, and that will open the door to maybe getting Andrew Garfield and Tommy Maguire back in and stuff like that. That's what the speculation's going on, and everyone just fucking people on Instagram are like Spider Verse, yeah, fucking, mm. and I'm just sitting here <laughs> like, no, nah, you don't know what you want. Like, like this is you why don't you know can't... what you want. Honestly, mate, like fans will ask for anything and think, oh, they did it in the comics, they can do it here. No, they fucking can't. Like, there's a the, the <laughs> thing with the MCU is they had these individual stories and it was like oh, an overarching story that led up to something eventually, right? As soon as you let like things get too complicated and not streamlined enough, is where you're going to completely lose an audience's interest because you're going to confuse them. And that's all I want to say about it. 
because it's going to get you see me get angry about Spider-Man in this podcast before it doesn't do my heart any favours that's all I'm going to say on that alright so that's, that's you done then <laughs> yes if you have any thoughts we can God. have it we'll spend our uh, minutes on it no I, I, I mean I'm, I'm not quite as raging as you but I'm certainly yeah certainly a bit I just like why would you why would you want to just re like reboot the same character Again, oh, don't know. same story effectively. Like what? Unless he's not, unless he's a minor villain. Like maybe I'll excuse it. He's a minor villain, and something else happens, and he's they've just recast him because they couldn't board cast. They just couldn't board mm-hmm. casting it again. Um, so they just casted Jamie Fox again, who wasn't bad. Like I like the Amazing Spider-Man stuff. I liked his character in it. Thought he'd done a good job of that, but not. Yeah, I'm not all on board for the whole Spider Verse thing. I haven't even seen the Spider Verse. Um, Spider Verse is a good just, animated movie. Yeah, I just don't like the idea of multiple Spider Men. Sony getting involved, mate. Like, it's just fucking Sony again. Just sell it to Marvel and be done with it. Just get out of my life. Like, honestly, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the biggest stubbornness in the history of Hollywood. This. I understand that Spider Man's a big IP for them, but you're not even making your own movies. These are the fuck boys of the entertainment world at this point. Yeah, and it's yeah. sad. It's fucking sad, mate, to watch it. And I'm sick and fucking tired of this coming up every couple of years like, <laughs> oh, Spider Man might be coming out of the MCU, or oh, we might get Spider Man in a Venom some fucking movie. I don't give a fuck at this point. I really don't <laughs> care. Just Would you fucking... know? Uh, sorry, what, what is your views on the. Like, I've not even seen Venom. Uh, Fuck Venom. You, Fuck wouldn't want, you wouldn't want Venom in there, no? Venom was their uh, attempt at booting a Sony-verse that would use the Spider-Man villains in it, and they wouldn't actually have Spider-Man. <laughs> they are that stupid. They thought that could work. Uh-huh. They are utter... They, they are fools. Their level of... The thing about Sony, do you know what's annoying? Like, they stumble across successes... Like they stumble across like a Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> and they stumble uh, they stumble across and it's like nothing to do with them because it's people taking piles of shit, like talented filmmakers taking crap ideas and turning it into gold. They are so deluded <laughs> like in their own and oh mate, I can't even do it. I'm sorry. I'm really uh, sorry. I don't want to do this. I'm so sorry. Quacker you uh, quacker, you seen Spider Man at all or you get anything to say about Spider Man? Uh, no, I've not seen it but <laughs> just got yourself uh, but yeah I was just like taking what uh Trough had to say there and I thought yeah, if he's that raging, maybe I won't watch it. That's a good point. Don't, don't, just don't. Stay away from Spider-Man. Stay away from superhero movies. It'll bring your life <laughs> nothing but sadness quite <laughs> in the end. Nah, I would I would like to see Spider-Man fully integrated into the MCU and uh, obviously Sony to get their clutches out of them. But at the same time, like, if they had done a Spider-Man universe properly then it wouldn't have been that big a deal but I suppose the issue is purely they failed because, twice <laughs> yeah purely is because they failed in it they've not and, even failed and once and now it's, they now, failed twice. Got, it's now that they've got Tom Holland and they're like fuck this guy is actually Spider-Man they're like we need to keep him yeah, but, yeah they're just it's like just, they're so just annoying. like oh, oh he's actually oh he's made it work oh, oh, bring it back to us and we'll see if we can make it work no 
Like at least <laughs> at least Fox had the decency to go out of business and sell themselves to Disney when they yeah. failed the Fantastic Four twice. You know what I mean? Maybe Sony should like take a leaf out of their book and do the same thing. But anyway, we'll move on for that. It's getting me too annoyed. Uh, there's, one, there's one more news story. Uh, is basically about release dates. Uh, uh, James Bond film No Time to Die was meant to come out at Christmas. It was originally meant to come oh, out in April, yeah. meant to come out at Christmas. It's now been pushed back to April 2nd, 2021. Now, this has actually had a knock-on effect. Fast and Furious uh, 9 is now being pushed back to May in 2021. That was originally meant to come out this year, pushed back to March. But because Universal made Fast and Furious and they're handling the international distribution of James Bond, that is why they don't want to compete against themselves. So in return, Fast and Furious uh, release date has been pushed back to the end of May to give Bond a bit of time to breathe before Fast and Furious comes out. Just an open question, guys. Uh, like, are we actually going to go back to the cinema to see anything else this year? Was Tenet the one fucking new release we're going to get? <laughs> well, for me, like, my uh, partner, she wants to go to the cinema. However, um, I'm, I'm still not convinced for, like, general safety and stuff like that. And we both mm. agreed we're not really f- uh, infused about what's currently on offer. So unless mm. something like Fast and Furious and James Bond comes out, then I won't really give that consideration. Because yeah. I, I do, believe it or not, I do watch both those franchises. Yeah. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> yes. There is something I, that Kwaku watches. <laughs> uh, no James Bond-wise, I've seen all the Pierce Brosnan, all the... Daniel, uh, Daniel Craig. I've seen some, like Goldfinger and stuff, uh, stuff like that. So yeah, I've seen some. Uh, well, well done, mate. I've seen some James Bonds and I've seen all the <laughs> Fast and Furious, including Hobbs and Shaw. Nice. So yeah, stick down your pipes. Don't smoke it. It's bad for you. Don't smoke it. Uh, Jack, what do you what do you think? Obviously, this comes on the back of the news that Black Widow's been uh, delayed again as well, uh, and it's looking very very likely that Warner Brothers is going to delay Wonder Woman uh, to, uh, in in 1984 uh, to next year as well. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think uh, unfortunately everything's going to get pushed back a little bit more again. Uh, as a, I mean, is there nothing you know of that's set for release yet? No. It's, it's hard to say. There's a, there's a couple of, of funny things I, out there. I, I, the, next, you, uh, the next day, the next one. The next Poirot ones uh, meant uh, to come out. You know what I mean? Uh, with um, what's his face, Kenneth Branagh? Uh, uh, the follow up to and Dune's actually still set for Christmas. So let's we'll not forget about that one. But okay. like, it's well, not as if Denis Dune, Dune Dune Villeneuve it. actually cares about making money at this point. You know what no. I mean? <laughs> Why should he? <laughs> He's um, just like, yeah, I'll take your two hundred million dollars and squander it up here in arse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, unless. If Dune's still set for release at Christmas, that might be the only thing that takes me to the cinema before Christmas. Uh, before um, mm. the end of the year. If not, then I don't know. And then even Batman, uh, the Batman's obviously been pushed back as well. I think. Yeah, that's out next year. I'm think. Yeah, I know it's definitely next year, but I'm thinking it was pushed back. I was I think we were expecting it February. February or March of next mm-hmm. year, but now it's I can't see it until like July or something. Yeah. Probably. I don't see it. I don't see it happening either. I'm just going to check the release uh, schedule to see if there is anything else that we're, we might be getting. Um, but again, it's 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 really quite in difficult. Fairness, in fairness, 
Uh, Tenet was absolutely class, and it was enough to sort of fill my belly for the meantime. I've yeah, well, I've seen it twice, but like I said, I'm not going to say it more than twice. You know what I mean? I mean, you uh, are an avid cinema goer, so it's obviously eating away at you more than it is at me. But like, yeah, it's you know, it's Antebellum's still to come out, uh, uh, which I've heard yeah. bad. I've heard bad. Yeah, I've got to say, you I heard mixed stuff about that. Um, Freaky, which you just hated the trailer for. Uh, oh my which, god. Which uh, is going to come out. Death of Death on the Nile is the one uh, that I'm talking about, uh, the Poirot one, um, and the only other significant release that I can see here is coming to America. The sequel to uh, Eddie Murphy's Coming to America, which is meant to come out. Uh, yeah, that time. is so bizarre. Yeah, because I I love coming to America. Uh, so many years so late. I know. It's is a he going to be one. king by then? I think he probably will be, but it's also like, is this Eddie Murphy's, uh, is that a Murphy Sons? Because he was in, um, what was the film he did? They, he almost got an Oscar nomination. It was it was almost a really strange year because he did Dolomite Is My Name and I, uh, what's his name, did um, Uncut Gems. Uh, why am I, Adam Sandler did Uncut Adam Gems. Sandler, we, yeah. we very nearly saw the year where both of them got nominated for Best Actor. <laughs> And that would have been a really weird world to live in. Uh, so I'm kind of <laughs> upset that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, just to sum up, uh, cinemas are fucked for the rest of the year. So yeah, yeah. get on Amazon Prime. Uh, for oh, In fact, that's the one thing I forgot to talk about. I didn't actually watch it actually, but did you see the trailer for Borat 2? Hey, I've not no. seen the trailer. No. We, we actually spoke about it in the first attempt. Yeah. Um, if I remember rightly, I said... He uh, is a racist. <laughs> uh, no, basically, like you said, it's really. We were talking about how controversial it is, and how actually mm-hmm. we're quite surprised that like it's getting made because of the whole cancel sort of culture mm-hmm. right now. Um, we get the obviously Sasha Baron is Jewish himself, and that any of the anti-Semitism in the films, uh, yeah. obviously, Bora is is sort of taken with a pinch of salt. But at the same time, can you, you know? Can you condone it just because it's him about him or like you know yeah, his kind of culture think, at the same time? I, I think so. Uh, so. like we talked about this with Woody Allen, uh, who's not a nice human being, obviously, but like he makes jokes about Jews all the time that are self aimed in his movies. You know what I mean? And it's it's the same thing if like um, like a gay film is to make jokes about gays and stuff like that. And like it's it's the exact. It's I I think. If you're making fun of yourself that way, there'll be people in your community who'll be like, "Oh, you're perpetuating stereotypes." But I don't think it's like a cancelable offence if that's the the term we're putting yeah. to it. No, I, I just mean not even that specifically. I just mentioned that, but there is obviously he he has a habit of obviously um, playing some pretty crude characters and stuff. Yeah. That um, that the anti-Semitism is just one of the. The traits that Borat has, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's, he's, um, there's many other problems with him, but like also at the same time, he's been doing this Who is America show um, over in the States, which is basically exposing the sort of right wing over there. So he's mm-hmm. got a lot of points with the sort of the liberals, shall we say, you know, because of that, he's become a sort of hero of them. Um, and looking at this trailer, it is, it's more of a, it's again, a satire on American culture and a critique on America and the sort of Trump America rather than uh, attacking anyone below, if that makes sense. You yeah, know what I mean? well, in that case, I would be very interested to see it if it is um, quite um, 
yeah, I don't even know the word is, but that sounds like an interesting Well, way see, on that, it. the timing is a bit suggestive because it is essentially released a day after the um, election. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so, and I, th- I think that's probably what he's going for. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's I don't think that's an accident. Uh, but also, it's weird how quickly they filmed it because, like, COVID is in this movie. Like, uh, Borat goes into lockdown uh, in this movie. You know, like you see that in the trailer. Like, so it's like it's mental. He must have just woke up one day and like, you know what? We're gonna do Borat too. Let's let's get it done because, like I said, yeah, let's get the makeup. Let's get there was back. no, there was literally no news about this. This was like one of the best kept secrets in Hollywood in years. No one knew that a Borat 2 was getting made. It wasn't reported anywhere. Anyway, it just sort of came out of the blue. And within two weeks, you've got you know, a trailer out. So, yeah, mental. Mental. Absolutely mental. <laughs> Are you going to... So, this is the, the point where you end the podcast. I know that's difficult for you. No, you know, I'm not it. <laughs> you want to end it. it. So, thank you for listening to First Time Films. Uh, the next time, Jack will be back in the hosting chair. Uh, oh, he'll, what? Again? He'll be, <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll be joined by Connor Sweeney uh, and uh, Grace Malak, actually, uh, a newest addition on the team. Two of the newest additions in the team getting a baptism by fire. Oh, wait, we're <laughs> doing conjuring, aren't we? You're doing Conjuring 2, Electric Boogaloo, Oh, baby, yes. He'll be absolutely uh, crack-a-lacking. As Horror Month coming up next, uh, we've also, after the Conjuring 2, we will have a show in Halloween 2018, uh, which I absolutely love. I'll be hosting that one. And then Ian Shearer will be hosting a look at Jaws, which is the next time uh, you'll hear Quacku's dulcet tones. I think a movie (laughs) about a shark killing a whole lot of people will be easier for me to understand than the Studio Ghibli stuff, so that should be good. But until from me, your humble panelist goodbye and from your host <laughs> and <Quaku. laughs> goodbye goodbye